Today's scripture reading will come from Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Once again, that's Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. The word of God reads, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Amen. You know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, and you have at any time desired to live righteously in the midst of unrighteousness, then there is no doubt that you have probably been accused of being a goody-two-shoes. Or perhaps you've heard from time to time, as, as I have, and that you think you're better than everybody else. You know, unright uh, uh, righteousness is offensive to unrighteousness even when righteousness doesn't say anything. Christians, beloved, are not innately better than other people. The Bible reminds us, doesn't it, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of, of God. Christians are not innately better than other people. However, Christians have a calling to be and to do good. Christians should not be self-righteously good, but Christians should be self-consciously good. Christians should be striving to be good people. We should be good employers. Christians should be good employees. Christians should be good citizens. They, we should be good neighbors. We should be good friends. This is a calling that comes to us because of the message that has come to us of the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. And what God by His Spirit is doing as He is making us over into the image of Christ. And this becomes our motivation for doing good. We are, we are told as Christians, aren't we, that we are not merely to be hearers of the Word, but we are to be doers of the Word. And if we are faithful in doing what the Word says, then we would be becoming good, faithful people. Someone has rightly said, just as we live and learn, so we also learn that we might live. 
that we might live. The gospel, beloved, is not just pie in the sky, by and by promises of heaven, but rather it is good news that that gives us a good reason for good living every day in this world. Good living. You know what the Bible says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 28 concerning Jesus? It says that Jesus went about doing good. He went about doing good. And we are those who, having been redeemed in Christ and are being made over in his image, therefore we are those who, like Christ, seek to do good. fact, we are a community of those who do good. And this is how the Apostle Paul wraps up the letter to the Galatians. And as you read these last verses here in, in his epistle here as chapter 6 ends, it seems that he is just giving them some kind of disconnected and, and, and disjointed, kind of off the top of his head admonitions. But then if you would just look a little closer and try to take these points in context, you realize that what is actually going on here is that God is actually instructing his people as those who have been set free in Christ. This now is how you should live. You're going to live in community. You're going to live in a community of good. Sharing good. Sowing good. And doing good. Sharing good things. Sowing good things. And doing good things. Sharing good things. Isn't that what it says in verse 6? The one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Because the beloved community is a sharing community. The sharing community. From the earliest days of the community of faith. From the earliest days of the household of faith, we see that it was a community that shared themselves and shared their things. They shared. In Acts in chapter 2, beginning in verse 44, in description of that beloved community, it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Because the beloved community is a sharing community. We share all good things. Notice uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14, it says that we share in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4, we, the Bible says that we share in the Holy Spirit. 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 reminds us that God is delighted to share with us all good things. God, it says, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? Because God delights to share with his people all good things. And if that is the case, then that should move us, that should motivate us, that should cause us, therefore, to desire and delight to be like God in sharing all good things as well. Especially, it says here, with those who teach and preach the word. There's a sharing in the ministry of the Word of God. Beloved, even in Paul's time, even in Paul's time, we see that faithful preaching and faithful teaching were not to be taken for granted. False teachers abounded in in Paul's time. Indeed, that is why he has written this epistle to the Galatians in the first place. And they abounded in Paul's time just as they abound in ours. And the Bible says here that if you are blessed, if you are blessed with good and faithful teaching and preaching, then you should share. Where there's koinonia, it means to fellowship and, and commune. That you should fellowship and commune and share with the preacher and teacher in all good things. All good things. Spiritual and material. All good things. Now I just want to make a note here. Okay, because I struggled this week in how to present this verse. And the reason I struggled is because I didn't want to come, I didn't want to come across as, as self-serving. I didn't want to come across as tooting my own horn. However, I do want us to be faithful to God's Word, and I want us to understand not only what God word, God's Word says, but I want us to understand what it means. And not because it benefits me particularly in this passage, but because it is to the benefit of the community that we are walking in obedience to God. And, and here, obedience to God, to His commands means that you share all good things with those who teach us the Word of God. All good things, friends, and spiritual things. Spiritual things, through the teaching of God's Word, God is pleased to, to bless us. And those He uses to bless us, God says, then we are in turn to share with them the blessings. What are those blessings? Well, you share with them in all good things, spiritually, prayer. Share with them in prayer. Pray for those who teach 
and, and, and preach. Share your heart for appreciation for them with God. Go to God on their behalf and, and let God know how much you appreciate them. Share your prayers with them in appreciation to God. Share encouragement. Has the teaching or preaching been of any particular encouragement to you? Share those encouragements. You do understand that preachers are people too. Sometimes I know you don't get in your mind because all this foolishness that go on TV. But preachers are people too. Discouragement set in. Challenges come. Temptations and sin abound in hearts and minds. And what a joy it is when, when the preacher hears the encouragements from the saints and, and remind them that their labors are not in vain. Someone recently told me, to my own encouragement, that they really appreciated the last sermon that Phil preached. And I said, well, don't tell me. <laughs> tell Philip. I appreciate that, but I am sure the encouragement will do his heart good. Share with him in that. Not only share the prayers and share the encouragement, but share the victories. Have you learned something from the word preached that has encouraged you to overcome setback and trial? And share that with the one who preaches and teaches. Let them know that God has used them in order to direct and encourage your life to overcoming sin and setback in your life. What a joy it is for those who preach to hear and know. And this is true. You know what the Apostle John writes in Third John, verse 3, he says, and speaking to the saints, says, For I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. No greater joy for the apostle than to hear that those he has labored over to instruct are now walking in the victory that is in Christ Jesus. Share that. Share your prayers, share your encouragements, share your victories, and share your faith. Has your faith been strengthened? Are you finding yourself more challenged to, to trust Christ and to live upon Jesus? Are you seeing more and more your need for the gospel every day? Then share that with the one who teaches. Share that with those who preach. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Paul writes this to the Colossians. And so from the day we heard, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and our wisdom and spiritual understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is the prayer of those who preach here, beloved. That you would be filled with the knowledge of God, 
in our spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you would have a walk that is fully pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work. Is that is being manifested in your life. Share it. The one teaches and preaches. What a joy it is to hear God is doing a work in your life, and the ministry of the Word is instrumental in that. Share in spiritual things. But when it says share in all good things, it doesn't just mean spiritual things. It means material things as well. All good things include material things. The blessed community delights to bless those whom God uses to bless them. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, speaking to Timothy on how he is to govern the church, says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and beginning in verse 17, that the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scriptures said, you shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, again, the, the, the abuses of the ministry are legend, beloved. And even in a city like ours, in a city like Atlanta, there are wolves in sheep clothes all around us. False teachers and prosperity preachers abound plenty, fleecing the flock and seeking to take advantage of the sheep. And that is why if, if, you have been blessed with faithful men who faithfully seek to preach and to teach God's Word, you should thank God by making sure that the preacher and his family are well taken care of. Now again, I, I, I don't say this to toot my own horn or for my own benefit. But I desire that we would be a community of good, living and walking in obedience to God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 11, Paul asks the rhetorical question, if, you have, if, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And the answer to that question is no, not too much at all, Paul, not too much at all. Beloved, I want to remind us of what God expects from his beloved community, and that is that we would share in all good things with the one who teaches. They're faithful and diligent and committed to teaching the word of God and share with them spiritual things. Share with them 
material things. And I would want to say this on top of that, that I thank God for East Point Church. As you seek to walk faithfully in obedience to this scripture, as you do care and seek to provide for the ones who teach and preach. Thank you. The community of good shares all good things, but the community of good is also seeking to sow good things. Sow good things. Isn't that what it says in verses 7 through 8? And you know this principle is simple. We've all heard it. It's a simple principle, and yet it is profound. It is a particular principle in every time and age, and yet it is universal. It, it transcends the times and the ages. It is grounded in the character of God, and it is founded upon its word, on its word. It is witnessed in every walk of life. And the, and the, the, the principle is simply this. You reap what you sow. The world says what goes around comes around. The Bible just says you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. It is an incontrovertible truth. Beloved, you can't get around it. You can't get over it. You can't get under it. And since it is such an incontrovertible truth, the Bible prefaces it with saying, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. This is as true as anything you will read in the Bible. This is, this is, this is true. And to ignore this principle is to ignore the very realities of God who governs and sustains the universe. Because it is woven into his character. God is a just God. No sin will go unpunished. And no faithfulness will go unrewarded. You can mark it down. And this whole principle of sowing and, and reaping has been woven into the fabric of God's relationship with his creation from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 as he's establishing covenant with Adam, he tells Adam and Eve of all that they could eat and consume in the garden. And they were not to partake of the tree in the midst of the garden. For he says, on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Sowing and reaping. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 8. Whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Sowing and reaping. 
founded in the character of God. You know, it's true because God is going to perform what he says he is going to perform. God is going to do what he promises he will do. In Numbers chapter 23 and in verse 19, the Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And here God promises wherever one sows, one reaps. Here's the thing to remember. The whole principle of sowing and reaping. We reap in kind, we reap in time, and we reap in line. We reap in kind with what we sow. You know, the planter who plants peas does not expect to get watermelon. If you plant peas, you're going to reap peas. If you plant watermelon seeds, you should expect to reap watermelon seeds. So it is in our lives. Understand, as we've already seen in chapter And we see again, the flesh and the spirit are fields into which we sow seeds. Sowing to the flesh produces more works of the flesh. And sowing to the spirit produces more fruit of the spirit. Don't expect Spiritual fruit where you are sowing seeds in the flesh. Because we reap in kind. You reap in kind with what you sow. And sowing to the flesh is death, beloved, because the flesh kills. Sowing to the Spirit is life, eternal life. And you and I reap in kind with what we sow. But we not only reap in kind with what we sow, we reap in time with what we sow. We reap in time with what we sow. We reap later than we sow. We always do. We reap after we have sown. We always do. And I think this is where most of the deception takes place, beloved. This is where the the, the admonition not to be deceived should really hit home because the deception comes in between the time that we sow and we reap. In that time, we become deceived into thinking that we're not actually going to reap what we sow. Because it takes time. Because it takes time. And we can be deceived into believing because of the time that perhaps we got away with it. Perhaps God didn't see it. Perhaps God didn't notice. Perhaps God had more important things to deal with. 
But Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23 puts it plainly. Be, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Here's where the deception comes place, takes place. Because since we reap in time with what we sow, we reap later than what than we sow. We, we, we understand that there is, a, there is a pleasure in sin for a season. And so when we sow to the flesh and when we sow into the sin, we reap the pleasure of that sin for a, a season. The hardest thing that is to get young people, particularly young people, young Christians to, to understand is that all the time, short-term pleasures lead to long-term pain. The most difficult things to get people to embrace. Because you become deceived. Because there's a pleasure in sin for a season, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. And this is why many people sow to the flesh, because of the immediacy of the pleasure. But here's the thing to be reminded of, beloved. Harvest time is coming. Harvest time is coming. God is not mocked. Don't be deceived into believing that you have deceived God. Remember, remember Saul? Remember Saul? 1 Samuel chapter 15. God tells Saul to go fight against the Amalekites, and he is to destroy the Amalekites. He is to kill all of the Amalekites. He is not only to kill all the Amalekites, but he is to destroy all of their sheep, all of their oxen. He is not to leave anything among the Amalekites. When Saul gets to the Amalekites, he realizes they have some very nice things. And so instead of killing all of the Malachites, he saved the king. Instead of destroying all of the Malachite sheep and herds and livestock, he saves the best of the sheep. He saves the best of the oxen. And he keeps them for himself. When Samuel comes to Saul, what happened when he went against the Malachites? Saul said, I did everything that the Lord commanded me to do. And, 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 and Samuel says, is that right? Then what is the sound of sheep in my ears and the sound of oxen that I hear? He goes on to tell, he goes on to tell Saul, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord therefore has rejected you from being king over Israel. God is not mocked. Saul, you have sown rebellion. You have reaped rejection. This is important for us to know, beloved, not only in the nature of the sin in our life, but even as we're sowing to the Spirit, you reap later than you sow. And again, we get deceived because there's a time period and we grow weary in sowing to the Spirit. We go weary in praying. We go weary in Bible study. We go weary in the fellowship because we don't see the immediate harvest. But 
God is not mocked. Your time in the Word is not in vain. Your time on your knees is not in vain. Your time in the fellowship and the communion of the saints is not in vain. Again, remember, harvest time is coming. And when it comes, if you have sown faithfully to the flesh, you will be glad that you did. Oh, so glad that you did. We reap in kind with what we sow. We reap in time with what we sow. We reap in line with what we sow. You do understand that the quality of our reaping is in direct line with the quality of our sowing. Direct line. Direct line. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, it reminds us that if we sow sparingly, how are you going to reap? Sparingly. If you sow bountifully, how are you going to reap? Bountifully. For what you are willing to give is what you should reasonably expect in return. You reap in line, direct line with what you sow. It's so important when it comes to community and sowing in community. And sowing and reaping. When you understand sowing and reaping, most people and most of us probably here, the first thing that comes to mind is money. It's finances. And that's because of all the foolishness of the prosperity preachers out there, how they abuse these things. But the truth of the matter is this applies to every area of our lives. Every area of our lives. It applies to exercise, doesn't it? You know it's true. You're going to reap in direct line in your exercising just what you put into your exercising. That's what you're going to get out of it. Exactly what you put into it. The same is true with our relationships, isn't it? You better believe it is true and don't be deceived. That don't expect any more out of marriage than what you are willing to put into it. It's a deception that too many Christians are living under. They want to put the bare minimum effort into relationships, but then they expect a bountiful return on a bare minimum investment. It doesn't work that way. It happens, it's true in Bible study. It's true in Bible study. A little verse here, a little verse there ain't going to do you. But somehow we have been deceived into thinking that just a little reading of a verse here and a little reading of a a verse there is going to make me fully equipped, able to walk in the fullness that is my Christian life. Don't be deceived. You're going to reap right in line with what you sow. It's true in, in Bible study. It's true in education. It's true in work. 
But here's something for you. You know it's true in church. It's true in church. You should not expect any more out of church than you are reasonably willing to put into it. You should not expect any more to come to you from the community of faith than you are reasonably willing to put into it. It's amazing to me how many people I talk to and they express frustration with the church. And I ask them, well, what investments are you making? Are you present? Are you involved? Are you giving of your time and your effort and your resources? Are you reaching out to establish relationships and friendships? And invariably the answer is no. But you want to reap a full-blown harvest. And you're sowing minuscule efforts and investments. Beloved, God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, this he or she will also reap. True in our personal walk with Christ. John Stott said that some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they don't reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest. It is a harvest. And whether you reap or not depends almost entirely on what and where you sow. Incontrovertible truth. What goes around comes around. You will reap what you sow. In and outside the community of faith. God expects his people to be sowing good things. Does he expect us to be doing good things? Doesn't he? See that in verses 9 through 10. You know, beloved, doing right can seem fruitless. I know it does. It happens in my life. I'm sure if you're anything like me, it happens in, in your life. You look around and you see people doing wrong. And still getting ahead. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 73. Beginning in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are, uh, who are pure in heart. But as for me, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Job chapter 21 and verse 7. Job says, why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Especially considering Job's situation. He looked around and he says, why do the wicked live, reach an old age, and grow mighty in power? 
their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear and no rod of God is upon them. Beloved, God knows that. He knows the prosperity of the wicked. And he knows also that he is not mocked, that every sin will be punished, every deed will be examined, and therefore you don't need to concern yourself with the prosperity of the wicked. The admonition to us in the midst of their prosperity is you keep doing good. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in doing good. Living right in a wrong world at times is hard. No, it is. Living faithful in a faithless world is hard at times. Living clean in a dirty world is difficult. And yet here, here in our text, God admonishes us, don't give up. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on the community. Don't grow weary of following hard after God. God knows those who are his own. He knows those who are trusting in him, and your trust and faith in him will not be in vain, because in time he hath promised you a faithful reward. Don't grow weary. If it ever gets hard, if it ever gets hard in doing good, remember this. Remember what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 through 25. Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men. Remember, you're doing it for God. You're doing it for the one who has been good to you. You're doing it for the one who has promised to supply all of your needs. You're doing it for the one who has promised that if you do not grow weary, you will reap in due time. You're doing it for the one who has promised and who has never broken a promise. You're doing it for the Lord. Not the employer. Not the teacher. Not the hard-headed husband. Not the nagging wife. You're doing it for the Lord. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. That's who you're looking to receive the inheritance from. Yes, I may get the paycheck from the boss, but that's not the paycheck that I'm looking for. I'm looking ultimately from the, for the reward that's coming from the Lord. For faithfulness. I'll thank you for the paycheck. But I'm looking for the reward that's coming from the Lord. He says, remember, you are serving the Lord 
Christ. It doesn't get any more plain than that. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. Don't you concern yourself. What you do, you do for the Lord. You do for the Lord. Don't grow weary. Because he's promised in due time, you will reap. He says you do this good. You do this to everyone, especially those in the household of faith. The Christian is called to be a doer of the word, and therefore we are called to be doers of good, even with those with whom we disagree. This is important to remember, Christian. Even with those who disagree with us, we should be known as kind. We should not be mean. We should not be abstinent, but, uh, obstinate, but we should be likable. And even though they may disagree with us, they find us agreeable people. This is especially true in the household of faith, in the church. Someone said a charity begins at home. There's a lot of truth in that, especially comes when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, they will know that you are my disciples, not by your love for the world, but by your love for each other. And so my primary calling, yes, I am to love those outside in the world and do good to them, but my primary calling is to sow those good deeds and those good things within the household of faith. And do understand this, that the church is the most fertile ground upon which you can sow. Guaranteed to reap a harvest. Greatest investment you can make is that you would invest in the church of Jesus Christ. Anything (coughs) sown into the church is guaranteed to reap a harvest for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Guaranteed, guaranteed. And that's why you give. Give, give to the church. That's why you serve. Serve in the church. That's why you live and love and invest in the local church because we are the family of faith and this is the means that the gospel gets shoe leather. That's how the gospel is walked out as we do good and live faithfully and serving and loving and giving to one another. Another. <clears throat> you do understand that this is not complicated. It's really, it's really not. In fact, it is so simple that we've all said it, and we all know it. God is good all the time. 
and all the time. Say it again. God is good and all the time. God is good. <laughs> the goodness of God, the Bible says, leads us to repentance. But the goodness of God not only leads us to repentance, the goodness of God should lead us to love and to serve and be good to each other. God is good, but God is also just. And I'm going to leave you with this. God is good, but God is also just. And it is good that you would lean upon the goodness of God. But don't neglect or forget that he is a just God, and he will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. Because however the sowing and reaping manifests itself in this life, ultimately the sowing and reaping that really matters is the one that comes in the next. If you sow continuous rebellion in this world, you will reap death in an eternity. If you sow to the Spirit in this life, you will reap eternal life, the text says, in the next. However this sowing and reaping works itself out in our daily lives, ultimately it points to a grander and a greater reality for all eternity. Sowing and reaping is what we find in eternity. And those who have sown to the flesh all their lives will reap eternal death. But if you have sown to the Spirit, faith and love, trust in Christ, then you will reap in eternity eternal life and joy in the presence of God. It was C.S. Lewis who who said, you are either a friend of God or a foe of God. And his goodness and his justice will either be a comfort to you or a terror to you in the life to come. Which will it be? Which will it be? Will you trust Christ and so faith unto eternal life, or will you continue to trust in yourself and soul unto the flesh unto eternal death? Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, God says this. He says it to us this morning, I think, too. I called to heaven and earth. I called heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you may live, you and your offspring. The day I set before you, sowing and reaping. Sowing to the Spirit and sowing to the flesh. Choose the Spirit that you may live in this life, but more importantly, in the life to come. Choose you this day. Let's pray.